1: Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at cuttereconomicforum.com.
2: Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On.
1: Without budget support,
3: Ukraine can't win the war. It needs both the military assistance and the budget support. The Chinese are playing hardball here. The United States has been pushing back. Bloomberg,
2: sound on. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top name.
4: We need to pay the bills that we've already accrued. This is not a conversation about future spending. We're $31 trillion in debt. This debt ceiling's a check on the debt, and our fiscal
2: path is
3: unsustainable.
2: Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on
3: Bloomberg Radio. It would be a major reversal for the Biden administration detaining migrant families who cross the border illegally. The New York Times says it is now being considered seriously by this White House. The same policy the president shut down in favor of a more humane immigration system that he described just last month. That
2: was a human right for, you know, uh, uh, Jews in Germany to be able to go to get to escape and get help where they could. Um, But the other side of this is there's also the people in this country have basic rights that are here, basic fundamental rights to assure that people are coming, have been checked out. They're not criminals. They're not problem. They're, you know, that their background checks are real.
3: So it's a balancing act, and it's one that is not coming easily here as we're joined by David Leopold, partner and chair of the Immigration Practice Group at Ulmer & Byrne Law Firm, also former president of the American Immigration Lawyers Association. David, welcome back. I wonder your reaction when you first saw this headline, if it was one of disbelief or or a thought that this White House may be inching closer to a reality check here as they try to balance human rights on both sides of the border.
5: Yeah, Joe. Uh, thanks for having me back. Look, a couple things came to my head. Number one, I, I think uh, President Joe Biden ought to have a talk with Candidate Joe Biden. I mean, mm. President Biden, when he was campaigning, decried locking children children up in cages. Um, he called it a moral failure, and he was right. And it's astonishing that they would even consider changing that tune. And you know what I see here in the Biden administration is fear of twenty twenty four. They're concerned about they're concerned about what the Republicans might might do with the border. And which which sort of it's extremely frustrating because there is the border has been used as a cudgel against this administration by the Republicans. And rather than, you know, be, try to out Trump Trump, which is not going to work, the Biden administration ought to be leaning into the issue and, um, you know, working to uh, to to legalize. Uh, to fix the immigration system so yeah. that we don't have issues at the border.
3: Well, do you think they're even going to do it? This is this is a question still. It's being considered right now as the administration prepares for a post-Title 42 world. It doesn't mean they'll actually do it.
5: No, it doesn't mean they'll actually do it, but clearly they're floating it uh, mm-hmm. as, a, as a possibility. I mean, obviously that's what's going on. I think what the Biden administration ought to be doing Uh, rather than playing games with the border is asking the Republicans, what is your solution? Because they have no solution,
3: but they have been asking that. that, (laughs) They don't get many answers on it, David. They, of course, Republicans uh, say secure the border and then we'll have that conversation.
5: They've been saying that for 20, 30 years. What they've never done is come up with a comprehensive plan. And the reality is what the Republicans want is no immigration whatsoever. And if that's the case, they should just say so rather than, um, Completely, you know, fear mongering, fear mongering, trying to mix issues and scare the American people uh, uh, about the border and about immigration in general. And it's very frustrating that the Biden administration is taking a defensive react, uh, you know, floating a defensive action, uh, trying to out Trump Trump than going forward. And being well, is that what they're doing, terms- David?
3: And for the benefit of our listeners, you know, remember the whole uh, separating families at the border uh, issue that was a massive controversy during the Trump administration. I'll even bring you back. This is Donald Trump in April of 2019. Remember this? That was a human right for, you know... Uh, Once you uh, don't have it,
5: that's why you see many more people coming. They're coming like it's a picnic because let's go to Disneyland. President Obama had child separation. Take a look. The press knows it. You know it. We all know it. I didn't have I'm the one that
6: stopped it.
3: Fast forward to today, uh, David, whether or not you want to qualify him stopping it. When we talk about detaining families, are we also talking about separating children from their parents?
5: In certain circumstances, I mean, the way that that could work is, is uh, children could be released from detention, parents kept in detention. It's a bad idea and it's a bad idea for uh, uh, detaining families, detaining children in any context is, is, a, is a bad idea and, and it's cruel. And, the you know, all we need to do is look to if it's about deterrence, about keeping people from coming to the border. We know that that doesn't work. There was a report that came out um, from the. Um, uh, the Office of, of, Latin, uh, of Latin American Affairs in Washington. And even putting aside cruelty, it, it doesn't make any sense to put kids in cages with or without their parents. The American um, Academy of Pediatrics has also issued a report um, about, about this, and they decry uh, locking children up, the long-term effects. There are other ways to solve this issue other mm-hmm. than putting children and their parents or children alone in jail and in a jail, and or leading to separation of the parents. Uh, That's what this leads to, ultimately, parents being separated from their children.
3: Well, that's something we're going to be hearing a lot more about if that is the case. But I want to just bring you into a conversation that was had uh, just last week at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference here in the Washington area. Tom Holman, who was director Mm -hmm. of U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement for a time uh, in the uh, Trump administration, a former police officer, served during the administration as acting director, to be clear. He weighed in on separating families at the border, and I actually had to bleep this so he could play it on the air. Listen.
2: And I'm sick and tired of hearing about the family separation. And, no, I'm still being sued over that, so come get me, I don't give a shit, Right? Bottom line is, All right. we enforce the law. American families, when I was a cop in New York and I arrest a father for domestic violence or something for DUI, I separate that family. When you violate the law with a child, you're going to be separated. But you're right. 250,000 children have crossed this border since Joe Biden's been president. They chose to separate themselves. And the children aren't always children.
3: David, what's your reaction to that?
2: Well, Holman, you know, in the
5: Trumpiest fashion, uh, sticks to lies and half-truths. I mean, I have very little respect for him, and I have very little respect for his service to the country.
3: I figure that's true, but is he, is he not right that if you broke the law here in this country, you'd end up being separated from your family?
5: Let's, let's be clear here. People who come here seeking asylum are doing so in compliance of the law, whether they do it at a port of entry or whether they do it between ports of entry. That's not my interpretation of the law. That's exactly what the statute says. And Mr. Holman and others who don't believe me ought to go read the law directly. The law permits people to apply for asylum. And uh, if he doesn't like that, he can ask Congress to change the law. But that's what the law says. If you come to the country and apply for asylum, that's perfectly legal. Whether you come and do it at a port of entry, or whether you do it between ports of entry. Yep. So these folks who, who decry people coming and applying for relief in this country ought to read the law themselves before they pontificate in, in, in a in a, a hateful in a hate-filled forum like CPAC.
3: So you're looking forward, David, and I don't want to get into an argument about CPAC. We've actually done quite a bit uh, uh, on that over the last couple of days, but uh, it's my fault I brought you there. But when you look ahead a couple of weeks, (laughs) when you look ahead to the month of May, knowing that this emergency declaration comes down, Title 42 goes away. What is the consensus Mm -hmm. or isn't there one among immigration attorneys, experts like you in this field on how to manage what's going to be a deluge? Of people at the border
5: uh, absolutely and that that is a critical question we can get into the hows and the whys but what we need and i think with the with, with the i don't think i know what the american people want and this comes from various polls and studies they want order they want they want to fix the chaos so what we need is uh, appropriate uh appropriate resources to make sure that these asylum cases are heard those that qualify move forward those that don't go back i'm not a, you know they should they should go back people will have to be removed from the united states if they don't qualify to be here but they do deserve their day in court and they do deserve due process that's not again that's the law that's what our country has decided to do we should be doing it and we should be marshaling resources to the border so that they can get in front of a judge quickly so that those claims can be heard fairly and with due process And those that qualify get relief. Those that don't Mm -hmm. ultimately go back. That's the law and that's the way it should be enforced.
3: David, I appreciate your being with us today. David Leopold with the insights uh, from the Immigration Practice Group at Ulmer and Bern. He spent time as president of the American Immigration Lawyers Association and we assemble our panel Uh, For more on this, glad to say we have Johanna Masca with us today, Democratic strategist and CEO of the Global Situation Room, joined by Lauren Claffey Tomlinson, Republican strategist and president of Claffey Communications. Great to see you both. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Lauren, I'm going to start with you because uh, there's a lot of Republican criticism, of course, against the way the White House is handling this. Do you look at this story as as Joe Biden caving to the inevitable
7: no i view this story as immigration being a very complicated issue uh, you have have congressional inaction uh for you know decades you have an administration that really has limited options and the reason why we keep seeing the same solutions over and over again is because you have a department of homeland security that is seeking to enforce the law any way they can but there's only so many tools in their toolbox that they can use at this point. Yeah. Um, and also it's the same careers over and over, right? Like coming up with the same solutions and going back to the drawing board. So I think really Biden has no choice but to go to Congress to change this. They need to surge resources like more judges in order to process asylum claims quicker. There's some things that can only happen if, um, if Congress steps in. And I think that's what we're seeing more so than any sort of political flip-flopping and all these other things.
3: So, Johanna, does this actually force the hand of Congress to do something here? Do you actually think the White House will reinstate the policy?
6: Well, I really wish that Congress would do something on it. Lauren's absolutely right. It is, um, you know, my entire d- adult life, uh, Congress has failed to act on this. But mm-hmm. the the problem for Democrats is we find ourselves in a defensive position yet again, because we came in and we said we were going to change something. So on messaging, I do, I do think it actually opens us up to a vulnerability here, where as other, you know, leaders, whether they're governors or the like, are acting. And so so, you know, if Congress isn't acting, and the president isn't acting and the governors are acting, the governors are looking like the leaders here, which um, for uh, President Biden and certainly for a reelect will set him up to some vulnerabilities.
3: Interesting. You mentioned the governors. Of course, we remember President Biden's visit to the border uh, back in January. I was going to say last month It's a couple months ago already. Greg Abbott met him on the tarmac, gave him a letter and talked to reporters about what was inside. I said, you
7: have you, Mr. President, you have a job to do, and that is to
5: enforce the immigration law is already on the books, and I outline outlined five ways in that letter of what it can do right now without any new law having to be passed.
3: Lauren, what should be the Republican response to this White House decision?
7: Um, I think that the Republicans need to be stressing the difference between supporting legal immigration and not supporting illegal immigration. I think that's going that's been something that has been confused in our messaging.
3: Very much so. over.
7: And I think most Republicans do. I mean, you need healthy legal immigration systems in order to support the economy and uh, to support our communities. And I think that's what you see in the polling as well. So for me, the, Republic, the correct Republican response is, how can we encourage legal immigration while discouraging illegal immigration? Mm-hmm. How can we make sure that We are offering enough refugee visas and other paths for some of these uh, people seeking different ways out of their bad situations in other countries and support their legal process here. And I think you've seen the Biden administration try to do this a little bit with some of their um, changes to, for example, Venezuelan policy and offering plane tickets uh, to the U.S. and things like that to try to discourage that illegal immigration. Um, But for Republicans, they really do need to lead into this fact that we've got a huge backlog. Um, with DOGA in processing these asylum claims. Yeah. We have no real process for Congress to, um, Congress hasn't stepped in and said what they want from a current immigration system that can support our economy. And so for uh, Republicans, I just go back to as much as we can stress support for legal pathways and legal immigration is going to be the way forward.
3: Lauren makes a great point there, Johanna. This just goes for the, the issue across the board. When you say immigration People assume you mean illegal immigration. How important is that delineation between the two? Because enforcement and uh, border enforcement and immigration are two different stories.
6: That's exactly right and look I think the majority of people who know that we need workers in America know that we need immigration and immigration over the course of America's history has been our strength it has developed our fortune 500 companies it has brought massive ideas where we've solved problems for the world Mm -hmm. so um, you know I think in terms of what Lauren's saying uh, talking about legal immigration it's the same exact thing that Democrats need to say which is why I think you know if there is is a path gosh i would love for congress to take this up and i do think that they would have the american public support yep. the question is are they going to actually take this opportunity and do something instead
2: all right of we're going to find
3: something for these two to disagree on i can guarantee it <laughs> the panel more next on sound on this is bloomberg
2: you're listening to the bloomberg sound on podcast Catch us live weekdays at 5 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app. Or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. This is Bloomberg Sound On with
3: Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. You know, this immigration issue would be so much easier to fix if it weren't for politics, right? I know
2: it's hard to see, but because our politics has been so divisive, you know, it's getting much better than you've all observed, but uh, it's been so darn divisive that uh, it, it, it clouds the picture. I mm. mean, it clouds the picture.
3: As we try to clear the air here with our panel, Democratic strategist Johanna Masca of the Global Situation Room News Nation, contributor along with Republican strategist Lauren Claffey Tomlinson of Steer PR. It's great to have both of you here. I, I don't want to be too cute here. Um Obviously, Lauren, with such a serious issue, but it really comes down to that, right? With vested interests on both sides, it is the third rail for a reason. How do you cut through the political haze here with a new Republican majority in the House and a president who wants to run for reelection?
7: You know, I really think that, like we were just talking about, like Kevin McCarthy sitting down with Hakim and saying this is a serious issue that we need to address. You know, and he was speaking about the select committee on uh, the CCP on China. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that it's going to take. Congress really sitting down and wanting to fix this because you know he's Biden's appointed Kamala as the you know border czar or whatever the, the title is and she hasn't really done anything on it so his options are kind of limited. Does he appoint someone that can go then represent the administration's views and then negotiate with Congress? Mm. We've seen that kind of happen before and it hasn't worked out too well.
3: With an election cycle beginning now, though, the timing is It's awful, good.
7: right? Like I don't think that you're going to have major immigration reform before right. 2024. But Biden also hasn't technically an announced. Wouldn't it be something yes, if indeed. he didn't and then <laughs> yes, took this on?
3: <laughs> uh, how true. Johanna, what's your thought on this? You're coming into oh. a, an election season. It makes it so much harder than it would have been, for instance, when Democrats owned the Hill and the White House and couldn't get it done then.
6: Yeah. Well, and look, this election is not an election for the Queen of England and us running. Look, I worked with (laughs) President Biden. I am a fan of his statesmanship for a long time. But running someone who will be 82 entering office is a major vulnerability for Democrats. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I do think that, you know, insofar as could President Biden opt out? Well, he Still could, but I don't think he's going to, which sets up for the exact situation that Lauren was just talking about. I like that idea of the select committee, um, like what they're doing on China, because there are so many Democrats and Republicans from states that are dealing with this and know that this is an issue who could come to the table for something like that. So I would love to see something like that happen if it happens under republican leadership then shame on us democrats because we've had a lot of opportunity and we could do it too so hopefully we do it um whether you know we have senate leadership or or other leadership
3: is the is the the dirty word comprehensive here take a piecemeal approach you might be able to get a couple of things done lauren instead of trying to do it all at once in such a toxic climate
7: Absolutely. I mean, that's why we've seen every other immigration bill pass, I mean, a fail, right? Like, because they kept tacking on things, tacking on things, it got more controversial, more controversial. There's actually a lot that people agree on as far as basic reforms that can make a huge difference. I keep going back to just more judges processing asylum claims. Wow, what a revolutionary idea. But doing something like that would then eliminate the family detention process uh, or issue because Mm -hmm. you wouldn't have to detain them if you're immediately processing them. And so if there's then, and, uh, then you don't have children having to go or having the decision of if children need to be detained or not detained, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things like that, that if- And that we,
3: would require more funding for the border, right? So that's funding. a new argument. We need money to do this.
7: Exactly. So there's just some things that Congress needs to actually authorize yeah. um, and put the dollars for that would make huge differences. But again, there's a lot of low hanging fruit that if they took that piecemeal approach, maybe they could actually get something yeah. done.
3: Well, there's another dirty word here. Well, I shouldn't say that, but it's, the, it's, it, it, it's a controversial word. And that asylum Uh, it's actually part of the foundation of this country it should not be a dirty word but when you start talking about dreamers republicans turn away right so at some point both sides need to come to grips with what they don't want if you're going to get an an actual agreement on border security immigration policy and dealing with those who are already here when's that going to happen
7: yeah yeah who knows um, but, you know, I think that it's these are human beings. It's impossible to just ignore that people are right. here, however they got here. Um, so it's going to be something that Congress and, you know, Republicans and Democrats are going to keep ignoring, keep ignoring. But at some point, we're going to have to deal with the fact that there's people here living, living here illegally. Yeah. And they have so for decades. We call
3: them dreamers. They're getting to be grownups at this point, uh, Johanna. That That's got to be the trigger, right, for Republicans to come around on dreamers. That brings Democrats to the table on security. What do you think?
6: Yes. And look, I think it's a problem that everyone knows in their communities because you have people who have been here for 20 years and didn't even know that they were brought here as children and are not a citizen. Mm -hmm. Um, There's the, you know, border agent that found out that he, in fact, was not here legally. Um, This is, you know, when you get down to the situation in local communities, there are very few people who say, throw them out. There's a way to say, okay, how are we going to fix this solution for someone who even educated, who we've invested in to make sure that they're able to legally be part of the process. And I think you're right. Language needs to change. Mm. You know, it's not about asylum. It's about, you know, making sure that we can enforce law and order by making sure that people are all documented. Um, and that is, you know, the process in which we're going to get more people to the table is when we start shifting some of the language when we bring Democrats and Republicans together to say this is just you know too much of an issue and and we're not we're not going to take a bunch of you know people who have been working in this country for quite some time and it wouldn't even be smart to then take them back to their country of origin in which some cases, they can't even speak the language. Mm. One of my friends from the Philippines, like, it's like, what? Am I going back to the Philippines? I don't know the Philippines. You know that. Right. That is the truth. Is that we need to get people in this country legally so that we can enforce all of the laws on the books. And I think that's something I would hope Republicans could come to the table with Democrats. So, Lauren, let's think Democrats are ready for it.
3: Let's keep 2024 in mind here. Donald Trump said at CPAC last week he wants to conduct the the, the greatest. Uh, deportation program in the history of America. The minute he's elected, we're kicking people out of this place. And he said as much in his first uh, election cycle. What's the answer to that for any other Republican, whether you're Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis, who might be planning to run against Donald Trump?
7: I think there's a real um, constituency of Republican voters. You know, I think of suburban moms, for example, um, who are very turned off by that type of language the the more calloused uh language around immigration and the people who have immigrated here um illegally and then and and but people who are also concerned about the safety of their communities that are also concerned about some of the crime that's going on um in the united states broadly right now not by illegal immigrants just in general Mm. um and so there's a there's a lot of uh people who are not going to necessarily go jump on the Democrats' bandwagon, that there's too many issues there between inflation, education system, all these other kind of issues that are percolating that I think will be um, important in 2024, uh, but that are not exactly um, looking for a return to Trumpism and the language there. Mm-hmm. So there, it depends on, I think, who ends up running in the Republican um Circle. But I mean, if everybody who's talking about running right now ends up jumping in, there's a lot of space for nuance and a lot of space for them to collect those types of voters who are not going to vote for Trump, but who would be very interested in a Republican candidate who wants to, you know, bring prices down, who Mm -hmm. wants to restore a little bit more law and order and police funding and all of those types of things, and who's not going to go in with really harsh immigration uh, policy, but who has a more nuanced, humane view on that. And that's actually where I think there's kind of a winning space there um but you know it's just trump's going to get the headlines on this for a while
3: absolutely is there an opportunity for nuance as we talk about reinstating potentially family detention here johan is there opportunity for nuance from joe biden who will likely be doing this all by himself if he runs for re-election i'm assuming that he's not going to be primaried by a democrat is he almost handcuffed by his own policy
6: yes and no okay the thing is um when when Biden runs, he has kind of stacked the deck for himself. If he jumps in, which we expect him to jump in, he's stacked the deck. And so, you know, to the extent that Marion Williamson is holding his feet to the fire, I mean, <laughs> I think in the Democratic Party, we are going to have the progressives who are going to say you need to let everyone in. This is inhumane. And yet Biden will likely win that primary without any problem. Um, When Mm -hmm. you get to the Republicans, you know, the one thing I would disagree with Lauren on is I don't actually think there's much room for nuance in the Republican Party. I think they want someone who's going to say those tough things. And I think that DeSantis says it better than Trump. I mean, if they run Trump and we run Biden, we will win. We have already done that three times. over. You're more worried about Ron
1: DeSantis. I am much
6: more worried about Ron DeSantis. Absolutely. Like, I have now read his book. I don't agree with his positions, but he has mm-hmm. a reason to have those positions, and he has articulated that in the Florida, um, you know, context. And one, he's won over, you know, a, a larger percentage of the Hispanic yep. population, despite talking tough on immigration and despite flying migrants to right. Martha's. That's winner. what we're going to be hearing so, a lot
3: more about, Johanna. I wish we had more time. And, Lauren, we did get you to disagree on something. <laughs> we did. Uh, great conversation. Really smart talk. And I appreciate both of you taking this so seriously. Democratic strategist Johanna Masca, the Global Situation Room with News Nation as well. And Republican strategist Lauren Claffey-Thomason of Steer PR back with us on Bloomberg. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound
2: On Podcast. Catch the program live weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. This is Bloomberg
3: Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So if the debt limit is the one thing no one in Washington wants to deal with, crypto might be the thing everyone wants to deal with, but they don't know how. And fascinating analysis today from Bloomberg Intelligence, even if that's an oxymoron.
8: Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at steeple.com. That's
3: S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.
0: You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers, banking services provided by green dot bank member fdic only funds and envelopes earn apy apy can change at any time
3: crypto bill with bipartisan backing may be basis for 23 debate i mean it's obvious bi does the best work that's why we have them here and nathan dean is with us along from bi along with uh, kaylee lyons great to see you both here uh, nathan you did some good work on the just the chances for crypto uh, to be regulated last time we spoke They weren't looking all that great, but as you write, reports suggesting a skimmed down version of the Responsible Financial Innovation Act to be released mid-April confirms your view that passing a broad crypto framework this year will be difficult, but it allows... An opportunity for something smaller, yes?
4: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean so you know, at least they're trying. You know, that that's what we're what we're saying here. And you know, uh, you know, the reports that Senator Loomis and Jill Brand are gonna come back with their responsible Financial Innovation Act in mid April, the mm-hmm. skimmed down version. Uh, the version that came out last year was very broad, did everything. You know, that's just not going to pass the Congress today because of FTX and this crypto winter and so forth. So we're looking to see what this legislation comes back. You know, we're, we're looking to see, does it solidify Bitcoin and Ethereum as commodities? Mm-hmm. Does it give crypto players a way to register with the CFTC other than the SEC? But, you know, most importantly, our, our, our analysis is, is that we think stablecoin legislation has a better chance of passage. Some comments today from the uh, Fed chairman and his testimony suggest that. Um, but this other legislation, you know, the, uh, it's just it's going to really struggle because Everybody wants to do something,
3: yeah. but nobody knows what that is. Isn't that right? So I guess I hit it kind of right on the way into this conversation. It's it's amazing, uh, Kaylee, to see so many people aiming to the same goal but not being able to agree on it. And it comes down to just defining what it is to begin with, doesn't it? Yeah
9: down to semantics at Mm -hmm. the end of the day. I mean, I was at a symposium with both Senators, Gillibrand and Lummis last week, where they basically were saying part of the revisions in this bill are that the SEC was having some questions about what exactly these definitions are. Mm -hmm. Ultimately though, when you talk to players in the industry, they are saying, please define it. Please set the rules of the road because ultimately it is Congress that can dictate what regulatory authority the SEC or CFTC has. And until that happens, it's really hard for players in the industry to know how to operate. And that is where you get regulation by enforcement, as so many people uh, like to generalize what Gary Gensler is trying to do right now at the SEC.
3: I could never get hired at BI for asking this question. But how is Bitcoin a commodity? when it doesn't
4: do anything. So the courts have deemed it a commodity, but essentially think of it this way. You know, Chairman Gensler has said that he thinks 99% of the tokens out there are securities. And his high level view, there's this test called the Howey test, but his high level view is essentially if there is an entrepreneur or is there a person who is trying to profit off this or is working to get a profit off this, then that falls in the security camp. Something that is decentralized and given out to the world like Bitcoin that doesn't really have key players that's more in the commodity space. So, you know, but, hmm. you know, I, there is a big catalyst coming up this week. The Senate Ag Committee is having a hearing. With the CFTC chairman. Um, I'm not really anticipating much from the CFTC chairman, but I want to hear if the Senate ag leadership Mm -hmm. is going to bring back their Digital Commodities Consumer Protection Act. That's the other key bill that I think
3: crypto investors should be watching this year. You're nodding here, Kaylee. Why is it important?
9: Well, the DCCPA could be ultimately one of the most defining pieces of legislation for crypto, should it return in some form. I guess there's a question of whether, and Nathan and I have discussed this before, Hmm. that in terms of priority, when you have a farm bill to get through, will ultimately be something uh, that they really want to pursue. But it is, it does come down again to the authority question. Nathan's right to point out that uh, so much of this just comes down to what the definition of a security is and the way Gary Gensler to this point has been trying to prove something is a security and therefore under his jurisdiction is to litigate and have the courts decide to rule that. But if you actually get something that says, okay, no, here are the baskets and we're actually laying out what should be considered a security and what isn't in theory that would make things a lot easier and you wouldn't have to have so much litigation as we're seeing taking shape this week
3: Mm -hmm. you of course uh, come from uh from a wall street perspective here kaylee in your crypto program you're you're dealing as much with the investor side uh as as anything else the the cry for help here (laughs) has been growing louder but i just wonder how seriously investors will take any final product i know that there there's a there's an ask for direction Uh, but what happens when it's actually codified?
9: It's a really good question, because it's also highly unusual that an industry is saying, please regulate us. (laughs) We want more restrictions. But that is exactly what's happening here. And on the one hand, and Nathan points this out in his piece, regulation could come with a cost for a lot of these businesses. But how do you value the clarity that comes with the regulation? And frankly, regulatory enforcement actions that are put upon you because you don't exactly know what is going to be allowed and what mm-hmm. isn't also can come with a cost as well. So it's kind of a a catch 22 here where there could be a cost either way, but at least if you know what you're doing, you can hedge against the risk of you having to pay that cost mm-hmm. in the future.
4: And I would just quickly point out that, you know, when it comes to crypto, the the market you know, different players want different things. Mm-hmm. You know, when you put a broad piece of regulation out here, it's usually the firms that have the technology expertise, the cost expertise, the compliance. Just having a meeting with the, C- the SEC, for example, will run you maybe a quarter of a million dollars. I was not shocked more. by that. Yeah. That's and, incredible You know, me. If the three of us decide to go down to my garage and create a Web3 platform, that's <laughs> kind of a lot of, po- you know, we need a lot of investment money there. Yeah. So, you know, you may run into the situation later this year in Congress where the established players like Coinbase may be advocating for one thing, Mm -hmm. but the actual decentralized community may be advocating for something else. How about the
3: lawmakers themselves? We had Brad Sherman on yesterday, the Democrat from California. who just thinks that crypto is a disaster. It's it's a front for crime. Uh, Other lawmakers are trying to preserve this nascent technology and do it right? Would this be bipartisan, whatever form it takes?
4: So that that's the challenge. And you, know, you are gonna have the lawmakers out there like Representative Sherman, who just do not trust this whatsoever. Yeah. In the Senate Banking C- Committee hearing that was on Valentine's Day, uh, there was lots of discussion using the words customer protection, national security. That is not easy to get through in terms of trying to develop a new framework and an innovative framework and All so right. forth like that. So, you know, they're going to have to work through this. And the ultimate thing that could cause this bill from not passing is you have Chairman Gary Gensler over at the SEC saying 1930s era securities Mm -hmm. law
3: applies. That's 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 the framework. Yeah. Um, He's being told that's not the case, Kaylee he's probably not gonna budge on that. Does he go testify in the middle of all this?
9: Well, that's an excellent question. And who does he decide to testify in front of if indeed he does decide to grace Capitol Hill with his presence? Because if you have multiple (laughs) uh, committees requesting Mm -hmm. him, he, from the conversations I have had with sources close to the SEC, is someone who doesn't delegate very well. And he does a lot of this work himself, including preparations for hearings. And in theory, that can be used as an excuse uh, to pick and choose. So Mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see if he does show up, what kind of questions he faces, because as you say, There is a bit of partisanship here. I mean, the digital Asset subcommittee in the House is holding its first hearing on Thursday, Mm. and even just the title of the hearing is a bit incendiary. You can say it it, it, to (laughs) us. Basically, and I'm paraphrasing What's here, it's about crypto? the administration's, <laughs> the administration's, meaning the Biden administration's yeah. crackdown on this ecosystem. Basically, wow. it comes back to this idea of regulating by enforcement. And that's something that Congressman French Hill has talked a lot about mm-hmm. that regulating by enforcement is not the way to regulate yes. industry.
3: Right. So, okay, if you're Gary Gansler, then. Uh, does it matter if, in fact, legislation passes, Nathan? Is that, does that create rules of the road so we don't spend $200,000 for a meeting with the SEC?
4: So you're still going to have to spend that money no matter what. You I mean, are. That, that's that, oh, that's just how Washington works. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, essentially when you get this type of legislation, you are going to get at least an, I- an idea of how to prepare for three to five years from now. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is any type of legislation that passes – probably has to end up with 98% of the tokens out there still under the jurisdiction of the SEC. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can get Democratic support without that. But the question is, what can eventually go over to the CFTC, which in in my opinion is less onerous in terms of regulation. It's principles-based, so you just have to meet the the principle of the rule. Mm-hmm. You know, But if you get Bitcoin and Ethereum and a couple of other tokens over at the CFTC that allows these crypto platforms and these investors to at least be able to plan, how do we actually go forth? Because there's a lot of folks right now who are just saying, I want to pick up my toys, and I'm going to go play abroad, and then yep. I'll come back in two years. It's yes, all going right.
9: offshore. Yep. Amazing. I did find that title, Joe. Yeah. Coincidence or Coordinated? Oh, the God. administration's attack on the digital asset wow. ecosystem. I mean, those are some choice words. Is that
3: leading? Now, hold on a second. Um, <laughs> your 30% chance of passage you gave to the Lummis-Gillibrand bill. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, for, at yep. BI. If this is whittled down, those odds go up.
4: Well, it it depends on what the Senate Ag Committee is going to do with this Digital Commodity Consumers Protection Act. Um, But, you know, the loomis Gilbrand bill, in my opinion, is a good bill to put out there at least to get the provisions out there in policymakers' heads. Mm -hmm. Part of the problem last year is that it was so broad it would have to go through four committees. Um, we're waiting to see what this skimmed down version would actually do. But, you know, again, you know, we're more positive on uh, stablecoin legislation, but for general crypto non-stablecoin, we're around 40%.
3: Got it. Wow. Fascinating. I think we just created like the new crypto power panel with you guys. (laughs) Fascinating conversation. Nathan Dean, Kaylee Lyons, thanks to both of you.
8: Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, chairman and CEO of Steeple Financial advisors, let's face it. If you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor centric firm built for successful advisors like you. There's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm for success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com.
3: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.
1: The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Carter Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City, Carter, and premier sponsor q